0: Hey there, Mama. You're listening to the Lift the Shame podcast. I'm your host, Crystal, Mama of Five, and your family's intuitive eating dietitian, here to help you cut through the diet culture clutter so you can enjoy freedom with food as a family. I'm on a mission to help you end the generational legacy of diet culture in your home so you can experience motherhood free from food guilt and body shame. Listen in weekly for guidance on how you can ditch diet culture, heal your relationship with food in your body, and confidently raise intuitive eaters. Let's dive in and lift the shame together. Welcome back to the podcast, Mama. We've been doing a little mini series on raising intuitive eaters and intuitive eating for moms. Last week's episode, we talked about three myths about raising intuitive eaters. So if you didn't hear it yet, make sure you go check it out. Today, I want to just unpack a little bit more this idea in terms of raising an intuitive eater while you're still learning to become one. Because again, I know so many of you relate to this and understand the pressure that you might be feeling in terms of, ah, I have to have it all right, I need to have the perfect relationship with food in order to help my kids become intuitive eaters. And I wanted to delve into this particular piece a little bit more. Again, I think there's so much shame that we can carry as moms, especially if you are still in an active place of healing your relationship with food, or perhaps you're in a season of your eating disorder recovery that's just more challenging, and you're struggling a little bit. You know, again, like there's so much pressure on having to have it all right, having to have it figured out, having to have everything perfect in order to give our kids the best shot possible at also being able to have a positive relationship with food. And I just wanna encourage you, Mama, nothing could be further from the truth. You are allowed to be human. Please give yourself permission to be human. Your struggle with food does not mean that your child is also going to be struggling with food. And just like I emphasized in last week's episode, your child is already born with intact, innate, intuitive eating abilities. And it's all about doing what you can to preserve those intuitive eating abilities. And certainly modeling is a big part of that. However, there's a lot of other things that you can be doing and engaging in. And you know, really being committed to trust-based feeding practices is going to be really helpful in supporting your child in preserving their innate intuitive eating abilities, even if you're not there yet. Okay. And that's the big takeaway that I want you to just here, from this show, from the conversations around this topic, it is possible, Mama, to preserve your child's innate intuitive eating abilities. And we're gonna talk a little bit more on practical ways that you can do that. So, you know, first step here is I alluded to this last week, but it's really important to just hold space for yourself. And it's so easy to assume that our experiences around food and body, Will be the same for our kids. And a lot of this is just by default, right? Like we just do this because we experience and move through life through the lens in which we have experienced life. Like all of our past experiences are informing us about future scenarios and future situations. And this is where it gets tricky when you're in eating disorder recovery and when you're healing your relationship with food. You know, it's really important to be intentional about telling yourself that the experiences that you've had around food and your body, especially in the past and in your childhood and in in your upbringing, have not been your child's. I will bet that you are actively doing things to ensure that your childhood experiences around food will not be your child's, right? Like for example, I know a lot of moms that I've talked to who grew up in the Clean Your Plate Club. How many of you out there have also been a member of the Clean Your Plate Club? I am holding my hand up high. I know you can't see it, but I was that kid who heard those things like there are kids starving in other parts of the world. So you need to eat everything that's on your plate. You know, our caregivers and our parents did the best they could with the information and the resources they had. This is not about shaming or blaming anybody. However, when we zoom out and see the big picture of what's happening, when we are asked to eat a certain amount of food on our plate, That really erodes trust in our own body as the expert of what we need. We start to ignore our body's fullness cues and eat based on external reasons or eat to appease our caregivers or eat to keep the family situation regulated because we don't want to upset anybody. All those times where we've done that in our family dynamic or in our upbringing has really separated us from our body's cues and caused us to distance ourselves from what our body is telling us that it needs. And I say this as a common example, because again, I know I've heard so many of your stories and so many of you who have shared that. Like, yeah, I remember being that kid at the table who couldn't leave the table because I didn't finish everything that was on there. You know, that can be really damaging in a lot of ways. The good news, though, is that we learn that we don't want to do that for our kids, right? Like, we don't want our kids to feel those na- those same feelings or learn those same messages or internalize this belief that they can't listen to their body. And so I know a lot of you are adapting an approach to feeding that is centering your child's autonomy and, you know, really allowing them to be the best expert of what they need by providing food, but essentially letting them choose what and how much they want to eat from the food that you've provided, which is amazing. That is a beautiful thing. And that is an example of, you know, being able to engage in a feeding practice that supports and preserves your child's intuitive eating abilities. And again, that practice does not hinge on whether or not you are an intuitive eater or you are in a place where you feel like, you know, you're in a good place with your relationship with food and your body. So I want you to see that this part of this practice is really like learning the strategies. But what these practices hinge on is actually trust, trust in your child. And I will tell you, if you are in a place where you're finding it difficult to trust yourself, when it comes to food, when it comes to to your body, Then it may be harder for you to extend trust to your child. But this is where it's so important to separate again what your experiences around food and your body have been like to be responsive to the child in front of you. So, you know, as an example, and I shared this in last week's episode, but for me, like sweets was really hard to navigate with my kids because I had such a chaotic relationship with sweets. When I struggled with my eating disorder, I would never keep sweets in my house or in my apartment because I felt like I couldn't trust myself with them. And it just felt like easier if I don't have them like out of sight, out of mind, right? Like if I don't see them, then I won't eat them but then never having access to them just built them up more in my mind and when i did eat them it was usually because i was binging on them and you know there was so much shame and guilt around that vicious cycle you know i remember like when my my oldest daughter was becoming interested in having sweets it was like a reenactment in my brain those parts of my brain that struggled with Sweets in that way. It's like all the alarm bells were going off, and you know, this idea that like you couldn't trust yourself with sweets. What is it going to be like for her? Like, can you really trust her? And on top of that, we're like bombarded with all these diet culture messages that have absolutely perpetuated the child feeding world, right? Where we hear messages like sugar is addictive, sugar is toxic, like don't let your kids eat that. All those things that we're holding our experiences, these messages, diet culture is all making it harder for us to be proactive in trusting the child in front of us. And so as you're navigating, like what does it look like to raise an intuitive eater while I'm learning to become one? A defining principle here is learning to trust the child in front of you and this this extends beyond just feeding you know I think you know we learn to trust our kids in a lot of different ways and vice versa like our kids learn to trust us and this is part of building a healthy attachment between the parent-child relationship. And again, a lot of us didn't experience this growing up so this this might be new for you. so please like give yourself a lot of grace and compassion as you navigate this and as you figure this out. And just know you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to get it right 100% of the time in order to support your child in a positive way, not at all. But it's about learning, learning what does it look like to trust my child, right? Like, what does it look like to say yes to their requests and allow them to eat that food that I'm internally terrified of? But I know that my eating experience has not been their eating experience and I want to trust them and give them an opportunity to learn what feels good in their body. Because I can trust their intuitive eating abilities are still there and intact and they are cued into them. So that's just a little example of what I mean. But you know, even though you still might be learning what it means to trust your body, you can trust that your kids are the best experts of their own bodies more important than trying to teach your kids about food is to trust them around food. So again, this kind of boils down to focusing on doing your jobs with feeding, trusting your kids to do their jobs with eating. That means you're focused on providing the food, providing regular access to food, exposing them to a variety of foods, even those foods that still might be triggers for you or that might be fear foods for you. You want to be intentional about including those for your children, not forcing or bribing or tricking them to eat certain things or certain amounts. This all is part of allowing our kids and trusting them to do their part with eating. Also part of this is trusting that our kids will grow into the body that is right for them without any interference on your part. And this is a hard one. And this is something that we'll definitely talk about more because oftentimes we can be triggered by our child's body and the size of their body. Or if we see our kids going through a period where they're gaining weight, or if you have a child in a smaller body, like we project our experiences on our kids. And when we see our kids go through parallel situations, it can be really triggering. So We'll definitely be touching on that, but it's really like this practice of learning to trust your child and learning to manage your reactions and your discomfort that's coming up for you so that you can trust them. Because I will tell you, it has more to do with you managing your your reaction than the way your child's actually eating. So that's a big point there when it comes to, again, raising an intuitive eater while you're learning to become one. A second one here is just being really intentional about approaching food in a neutral way. So many of us have grown up with this dichotomy of food being good and food being bad, right? Like, unfortunately, that's a huge proponent of diet culture. And therefore, it's, it's saturated, like our world is saturated with this Kind of polarizing view of food. And there's so many foods that are demonized and vilified. And there's so many other foods that are put on a pedestal. And, you know, if your kid just eats kale, they'll be so healthy. (laughs) And I mean, I'm laughing because nothing could be further from the truth, right? Like having an adventurous eater or having a kid that loves eating vegetables does not mean that your child is going to be healthy. And there's been a lot of muddied waters when it comes to feeding kids and what are best practices and what are the best foods that you should eat. And that's a whole nother topic for conversation too. And what I want to encourage you to do, especially if you're focusing on healing your relationship with food and you're like, you know, I want my child to have the best shot possible at Being an intuitive eater, and you want to preserve their intuitive eating abilities, we really need to focus on approaching food through a neutral lens. Because I'm telling you, as they get out into the world, they're going to start being bombarded with those diet culture messages. We want to make our children resilient to those messages, right? Like we want to, I mean, we can't keep our kids in a bubble their whole lives. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I could like just can I just like, Wrap you in bubble wrap and just protect you from everything that's hurtful and harmful out there. And as much as we wish that we could do that, we can't. And we can't protect our kids from all the diet culture messages that they will eventually be exposed to. However, we can set the precedent, we can set the foundation for them that will help them learn hey, there are no good foods or bad foods. And everything helps benefit our body in some way or another and when we can approach food through that lens it really takes fear out of eating it takes it removes shame from food it removes shame from bodies we need to be intentional with this especially if we're still working on healing ourselves and our relationship with food like you may be going through a whole process of unlearning right like unlearning diet culture and that's a huge feat in itself. And if you find yourself on that journey, I just applaud you. Like, it's so brave to do this work of unlearning all these damaging messages around food and body in order to help our kids. I just wanna applaud you, Mama. Like, that is such a brave thing that you're doing and such a gift that you're giving to your child. And with that, we just wanna be intentional about the language that we're using. We wanna create an emotionally equal playing field for all. All foods for our children, because that is going to help preserve their intuitive eating abilities. It's really important to remember that all the ways that we communicate with our kids around food, both verbally and non verbally, is becoming their inner dialogue around food and their bodies, too. And so, you know, this is not to put a ton of pressure on yourselves. And I don't say this to put all the pressure on you, like where you have to, like, hyper focus on every single thing that you're saying and doing, or, you know, be so vigilant about everything that you're engaging in around food with your kids that you don't actually enjoy living. (laughs) And again, like this is not about getting it right 100% of the time, because that's just not feasible. That's just not possible. But when we aim for having a food neutral environment, it's going to give our kids a great shot at developing an internal dialogue around food that is very positive and trusting. And so the way that we can do that is just take inventory of the language that you use around food. Are you using any polarizing terms like good or bad? Other polarizing terms that I think are equally as damaging, but often hidden under the Guys of wellness are using terms like healthy and unhealthy, those terms categorize food in our children's mind. And really, health concepts are actually very abstract for children because kids are very literal thinkers. So, when they hear food being described as healthy or unhealthy, that can be really confusing for them. So, I do encourage you know, parents to avoid that kind of languaging as well. And we'll be chatting more about ways to support your kids when it comes to health and nutrition in a way that, you know, doesn't interfere with their intuitive eating abilities. Because I think there's a lot of confusing nutrition information out there. The other thing here is just minimizing like nonverbal messages or gestures that might communicate to your child that you don't trust them around food or that you're kind of uncomfortable or displeased with how they're eating, again, it's natural for you to feel uncomfortable or for you to feel some discomfort around situations that may be parallel for you, right? Like we talked about that you might potentially be triggered around how your child eats or their body size. And that is not inherently a bad thing. What's more important is to make sure that you have tools to help you manage that discomfort because... If that discomfort is bubbling out, and you know it's now being projected, that might come across as a nonverbal message to your child that you're displeased with them, or you're uncomfortable, or you're not happy with them. And kids pick up on that energy and internalize that. An example of this would be like giving your kid the side eye, right? Or giving them the look across the table if, you know, they're eating or doing something that you're not happy with. And so, really this boils down to managing your reactions, managing your discomfort, figuring out ways to keep the environment safe and neutral for your child so that they're not assigning any of your messages or any of your meaning around food and bodies to their experiences around food and bodies. Lastly here, and this is something that you likely already know and are already doing, but I just wanna reiterate it. And that is just being committed to your own healing journey when it comes to food and body. And look, like this is going to look different at different seasons of life. And some seasons of life, you may need more support than others. And I think sometimes just asking for help has so much shame attached to it, right? Again, like we feel like as moms, like I should have this all together. Like, why am I still struggling? And the thought of having to ask for help can make us feel like I'm a failure. And I want to challenge that shame and I want to call out that shame because that shame is what might be keeping you stuck and what might be preventing you from growing and healing. And really just understanding that we can't do this alone and we weren't meant to do this alone. I know it's hard because especially as moms in eating disorder recovery, we do feel alone. It's really hard to connect with other moms who can understand the intricacies that are involved in this juxtaposition of motherhood and eating disorder recovery. Like it's so unique and a lot of people just don't get it. A lot of people don't understand all the challenges and obstacles that come with navigating motherhood in a predominantly dieting culture. It's hard. I get it. And I empathize with you. And I just want you to know that wherever you're at today, there is no criteria for asking for help. Maybe that means connecting with a therapist or a counselor or a support group. You know, Maybe that means seeking out more intensive type of care it's going to look different for you. And it it will look different depending on the season that you're in. And recovery is not linear. It ebbs and flows. And sometimes we need more help. And sometimes we're okay with more minimal help. And there's not a right or wrong to getting help. Okay, I think it's really important that we challenge those messages. And I want to take this opportunity to plug in a, a shameless call for Our Lift the Shame support group. So, if you have not yet heard, we have a free virtual support group for mothers in eating disorder recovery or moms to be. So, if you are navigating this journey and you find yourself alone, please come and connect with our community. We have an amazing community of mothers who are navigating what it's like to heal their relationship with food and their bodies and also be raising their children. And I can assure you that this place is so safe and so nurturing, and it will allow you to connect with other people to help reinforce this idea that you're not alone and you don't have to figure it out alone. And maybe your next right step is just signing up, right? Like just coming to the group and you never have to talk if you don't want to, you don't even have to turn on your camera. It's super low key. And just hear other people's stories to know that you're not alone. And I am i guarantee you, you will connect and resonate with what the other moms in our group are sharing. And even if you're like, you know, I don't know if I necessarily have had an eating disorder. Maybe you just recognize that food has taken up more of your mental space than it should be. Or same with your body. Like Maybe you just feel like I'm struggling with my body image and I feel like, this is really becoming an issue and I don't want my kids to be part of this struggle. Come join our group. You will absolutely connect with the other moms in there and resonate with the stories that are being shared. And it's it's just a safe space to explore some of these issues, you know, because again, the best way that we can help our kids is by helping ourselves. The more we heal, the more we learn to give to ourselves. And I know it sounds so selfish But it's so vital, like we cannot give to our children endlessly, (laughs) like we have to also take care of ourselves and learn to attune to ourselves and to our own needs and be responsive to our needs so that we can do the same for our kids. And I have found for myself personally that even on just the therapeutic side of healing from my own upbringing and, and all the different things that happened in my own life has really allowed me to form a more positive connection just overall with my kids outside of just food. Like I know that sometimes we hyper focus on food, but oftentimes food is happening and how we feed our kids is happening in a bigger context and examining some of those pieces and just learning how to attach and formulate a secure attachment with our children really gives a good foundation for being responsive to them when it comes to food and their bodies in a really life-giving way. So I hope this encourages you today. I feel like every podcast I could just ramble forever, but I hope that you have found some nuggets of encouragement or things that have supported you or just something that maybe allowed you to think of something in a different way on your journey. And I just want you to know that I'm here for you and would love to hear from you. So if something that I shared today, you have questions about or thoughts that you'd like to share, please come to the show notes to leave a comment. You can connect with me on Instagram at crystal cargus. Or leave me a voice memo, which you can find on the show notes for today's episode as well. I would love to hear from you. And I'll make sure to share our Lift the Shame support group, the link to sign up for that in today's show notes as well. If you're interested in joining, we would love to have you. Just know that you're not alone as you navigate this journey. And again, I can't say this enough, but just please be gentle with yourself and remind yourself that your children's ability to be an intuitive eater and to have a positive relationship with food does not hinge on your relationship with food. Okay. Give yourself some grace and you want to remove that pressure from your shoulders because it's just too much. (laughs) And there's a lot that you're already navigating. And there's a lot that I can guarantee you're probably already doing right to support your kids and giving them the best shot possible at having a great relationship with food. So I hope this helps. I can't wait to hear from you and I will see you again next week. Take good care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift the Shame podcast. For more tips and guidance on your motherhood journey, come connect with me on Instagram at Crystal Cargis. Until next week, mama, I'll be cheering you on. Bye for now.